One of the things that I remember from growing up as a kid is back-to-school shopping, right? And since we just started school, maybe some of you have uh, been doing this recently, right? You start to look at your kid's wardrobe as the summer comes to an end, and you think, well, that's too short, that's too small, that's too whatever, too worn. And so you think, okay, well, before we start school, we need a new you know, wardrobe almost for all of these kids. And so I remember being at the mall with my mom and my two sisters and just sort of the whirlwind of trying to go from store to store and get everything that we need and maybe something that we want to, you know, and try to get all these clothes for all these kids. And I don't know if this is part of the memory or if I'm just sort of filling in the blanks in my head, but I feel like after a... A trip like that, at some point you have to sit down and catch your breath and go through your bags and think, and ask yourself, okay, what have we actually gotten? Because if you've got three kids and you go to multiple stores, by the time you check out at store number four, you've forgotten what you bought at store number one. And sometimes you look through those bags and you realize, oh, I forgot we even bought that. We've already got that covered or we've already got this thing. That's how I feel when I read uh, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Let me explain that. Paul has been taking us through uh, the Old Testament, especially the life of Abraham and also David in Romans chapter 4. He's been showing us how the doctrine of justification by faith is not a new teaching that Paul has come up with, But it is the way that God has been saving his people from the beginning, even in the Old Testament. And he has argued at length about how the promises to Abraham are given to those who believe, like Abraham believed, whether they're Jews or Gentiles. And in uh, chapter 5, these first couple of verses, I think what Paul is doing is saying, okay... We've gone through a lot of information, a lot of arguments, a lot of explaining of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, how that applies to those who believe, how that's consistent with the Old Testament, how that applies now in the New Testament. And we need to sort of take a moment to catch our breath and see what we have accumulated through all that time, what we have gotten, because I think there are some things that go along with this doctrine of justification that you haven't realized yet that you've been given. And so I want to take a moment, Paul is almost saying, I want to take a moment and uh, sort of highlight for you some of the things that you now have, that you've been given as a result of being justified or going along with being justified that you might have missed. And so I want to draw your attention to them. So I want to read for us just these two verses, Romans 5, verses 1 and 2, and see what Paul is saying about what we have picked up along the way in Romans chapter 3 and Romans chapter 4 that we might have missed. He says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So Paul says, really there are three things that we have that we might have missed that he wants us to make sure we understand. We have been given peace 
we have been given grace, and we have been given hope. More specifically, we have been given peace with God. We have been put in a place of grace, and we have now hope of the glory of God. So let's start with the first one, with peace. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And notice this passage starts with the word, therefore, which means that Paul is drawing a conclusion from what he has been saying before. This is going back all the way through chapter 4 and part of chapter 3 and maybe all the way back to chapter 1 and verse 18. Paul is saying, because of all these things I've been teaching you, Right, about how you are justified, how you're declared righteous and have your sins forgiven by faith in Christ. Because of all of that, you now have peace with God. Right, so let me just stop right here at the outset and say, if you want to have peace with God, and you know that you don't, You know that you have sinned against God. You know you have lived your life out of step with God's will and God's word. You know you have gone your own way and you've done your own thing and your conscience is not at peace and you know you and God are not on good terms. This is how that gets fixed. Not by you doing anything, not by you turning over a new leaf or trying to change your life or clean yourself up or do this or do that. Peace with God comes when you turn to Jesus and you trust in Him and God says, because you trust in my Son, your sins are forgiven and I now say you are righteous in my sight. That's justification. And it happens by faith apart from works. Baptism doesn't accomplish it. Church membership doesn't accomplish it. Reading your Bible every day can't accomplish that. It's not done by works. It's by turning from your sin and from yourself and trusting in Jesus. And Paul says, if you've done that, if you have trusted in Christ, you've been justified, your sins have been forgiven, you've been declared righteous, then guess what else that means? It means you have peace with God. And that's really good news. Because by default, we are all enemies of God. All of us are sinners. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Paul says in Romans 3.23. He says, none of us is righteous. None of us does good. None of us even seeks after God on our own. All of us are sinners by nature and by choice. And being sinners makes us enemies of God. It puts us in a position of hostility toward God, whether you've thought about it that way or not. Because God is your creator, and you owe him everything. And if instead of thanking him and honoring him and obeying him, you say, see you later, I'm doing my own thing, you have put yourself in rebellion against him. You have made yourself his enemy. Paul even says later in this chapter, in verse 10, he says, If while we were enemies, why were we enemies? Because of our sin, because of our rebellion against God. So Paul says, if you've been justified, if you've trusted in Christ, sins are wiped out, you're declared righteous. What also comes with that is a positive peace with God. 
Not just the peace that means I'm no longer angry at you. But a peace that means you are now my friend. We are now in fellowship. Right? So justification is, is legal language. Right? A judge declares you just or unjust. I hear the evidence. Declare the verdict. Right? And in our case, with justification by faith, we're justified despite what the verdict ought to be as far as our behavior goes. Right? We are sinners. We're unrighteous. And yet God declares us righteous because Jesus, the righteous one, has put himself in our place, died in our place on the cross, achieved a perfect righteousness, obeyed God perfectly where we didn't, and that is counted as ours right, by God, who is the judge of the universe, and he declares us righteous. But he's not just a judge. He's also a father and a friend. So when we are justified... It's not just like a judge saying, okay, not guilty, go home. I'm never going to see you again. God says, I declare you not guilty. I declare you righteous. And now I want you to come home with me. I want you to be my friend. I want you to be in fellowship with me. I want to have a relationship with you. That's what Paul means when he says, we have peace with God. We have peace with God. If you've ever and all of us have, had a relationship where there was no peace, right? You've done something or they've done something where the two of you can't sit down and be comfortable with one another, right? Because somebody's mad or somebody's hurt or, you know, there's some animosity, some hard feelings, right? It may have been from something that happened a long time ago. Sometimes that's even as Christians, that's still how we think about our relationship with God. We're, when we come before God uh, in prayer, whether it's at home by ourselves, whether we come to worship at church, we are still thinking that God is holding something against us. That there's some animosity, that there's some anger, that there's some distance between us. We don't really believe that he's set all that aside. But Paul is saying he has. Your sins have been forgiven, and you have peace. You have fellowship. You have full reconciliation with God. There is no lingering animosity in God's heart toward your sin if you've turned to Jesus. There is no, there is no remaining anger that makes Him want to keep you at arm's distance. He has fully reconciled you to Himself. You just have to believe it. I just have to believe it. Believe that we have peace with God. As Paul says that we do. How do we have this peace with God? How is it possible that despite our former position as enemies of God, how can we now be counted as friends? How can we now have true fellowship with God? Well, Paul says that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And the way that Christ has accomplished that uh, peace, has provided that peace for us with God, is this. One, Paul says that the reason we didn't have peace with God is because we were sinners under the wrath of God. That's where he started in chapter 1, verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. God is 
rightly, righteously angry at men for their sin. But in chapter 3 and verse 25, Paul tells us that God Himself sent His Son to be a propitiation, and that is a sacrifice that absorbs God's wrath. God sent His Son to take upon Himself the righteous anger, the righteous wrath that God had against sin, and bring that wrath to an end by satisfying it through His perfect death in our place on the cross so that there is no more wrath left for us. That's why Paul can say in Romans 8.1 that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no wrath, there's no judgment, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ because Christ has already satisfied, absorbed, taken upon Himself fully and completely the wrath of God so there's nothing left for you. No wrath left in the heart of God toward His children because Jesus has taken that all. And not only that, but through his death, he's also forgiven our sin. That's what Paul means when he says in verse 24 of chapter 3, that we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. He redeemed us by paying the price for our sins. And then it's through Christ that we have now been made righteous in God's sight, so that not only is our sin forgiven, not only is God's wrath removed, but also we can stand in the presence of God as people who are holy and righteous because we've been made righteous in Christ. Listen to these verses just a little bit later in chapter 5, verse 18 and 19 says, therefore as one trespass, talking about Adam's sin, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness, Jesus's, leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. So how do you get to be righteous? How do I get to be righteous? Through Jesus' perfect obedience to His Father. His righteousness is counted as ours. So it's through Christ that we're righteous, through Christ that our sins are forgiven, through Christ that God's wrath is removed, so that through Christ we now have peace with God. We don't have peace with God because God has changed His mind. We have peace with God because Jesus' death and resurrection has removed all the obstacles to that peace. It has purchased for us that peace. And again, we don't have to earn it. We don't have to accomplish it. We don't have to achieve it. We just have to believe it. Believe that we have peace with God. Not only do we have peace with God, Paul says, now that we've been justified, but here's something else that we have. We have uh, been put in a place of grace. Look at verse 2. He says, Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Okay, now this is a little bit different way of thinking about grace than what we normally think of. So let's try to get our minds around this. Okay, We stand in grace. All right, So think about grace as a place or a position. We often think about grace as sort of a passive thing. 
Grace means I won't hold your sins against you. Grace means you don't have to work for your salvation. It just sort of grace sort of lets things go or, you know, something like that is how we often think of grace. But grace is more than that. Grace is a power, right? Paul talks about the the grace of God being at work in us to train us, to teach us, right? But grace is also a position that we are given. It's a place where we get to stand. And so think of it like this. Sort of imagine in your mind like a just a, a circle, right? And you stand inside that circle because you are in Christ. And God says, anybody who's in this circle, what I'm going to do for them is I'm going to pour out upon them all of my blessings, all of my grace, all of my favor, all of my mercy, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, all of that that I have, I'm going to pour upon all those who are in this circle, who are in this sphere, this place. And Paul's saying, if you're in Christ, you've trusted in Christ, you've been declared righteous in Christ, you stand in Christ, and that is a position of grace So that now, what you receive from God is not condemnation, is not wrath, is not judgment, but is His favor, His blessing, His goodness. It is all poured out upon you. There's nothing for you to fear there. You've been welcomed, you've been accepted, you've been cleared of all charges. How do we get to be in a place like that? Because... Before Jesus, that was not your place. That was not my place. Right? When you are outside of Christ, if your conscience is at all awake, you recognize that you're living in enemy territory. Right? God is your enemy. You have made yourself his enemy. And you're afraid he's going to catch you. You're afraid he's going to find you out. You're afraid he's going to know what you know that he already knows, but you hope that he doesn't know, maybe. You're afraid of Him. You're running from Him. You're trying to ignore Him, trying to pretend He doesn't exist. But Paul says, now you've been brought into a place where you don't have to run from God in fear, a place where you can stand and know that all you're going to receive from God is good, is a blessing, is favor. How do we get that? Paul says we've, we've been put in that place through Christ, right, through Him, And we have obtained access to this place by faith. So again, being in this position of grace, this position of blessing, this position of God's favor is not something that we earn. It's not something that we achieve. It's not something that we accomplish. It's something we're given in Christ when we trust in Him. This is so hard for us to get our minds around, and I think that's part of why Paul keeps repeating it over and over and over. So we need to be reminded. We don't earn this stuff. This is not this position that you have been given as a Christian, as somebody in Christ, it's not something you earned by grace or earned by works, and it's not something you maintain by works. It's something you have been given by faith in Christ, and you just have to stand there. It's just like the uh, Israelites when they were uh, come, they came up to the Red Sea. God had brought the last plague upon the Egyptians. And uh, Pharaoh said, get out of my sight. Don't ever come back. Leave. And the Israelites took off. And then Pharaoh said, you know what? That was maybe not my best decision because now I lost all my slaves. Let's go get them. 
And so the Israelites flee from Egypt and they come up to the Red Sea. They can't go any further. They look back. Here comes Pharaoh's army bearing down on them. What are they going to do? They've got no weapons. They're not a trained army. They're fighting the most powerful army probably in the world at that time. They're stuck. They're utterly hopeless and they're stuck. And what do they do? Moses says to them, God is going to fight for you. God is going to deliver you. All you have to do is stand here and watch the salvation of the Lord. That's what Paul's saying. You stand in a place of grace. You just stand there. You've been given the position. You've been put in this place through Christ by faith. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. But enjoy it. Believe it. Embrace it. You stand in a place of grace. You have been given peace with God. And then finally... He says, not only that, but we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now, what is that talking about? Rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Well, we might get a little help if we remember that back in chapter 3, Paul said, not only all have sinned, but also all have fallen short of what? The glory of God. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, what does that mean? That means probably a couple of things. One, we don't measure up to God's glory, to His perfect character. Because we've sinned, right? We don't don't measure up to God's glorious perfection. Also, we were made in God's image, meant to reflect His glory, meant to um, be faithful representations of His character, right? So He's loving, we're supposed to be loving. He's kind, we're supposed to be kind. He's faithful, we're supposed to be faithful. But we don't do that very well either, right? We sin, we distort the image of God by acting in our own way instead of in God's way. But Paul says now that we're in Christ, we have hope of the glory of God. Meaning a couple of things. One, we now have hope that we will see God's glory. Remember that Adam and Eve, when they lived in the Garden of Eden, one of the things that they enjoyed, that they lost after their sin, was fellowship with God, getting to be with God and being in, be in His presence. And the climax of the story of the Bible, the great conclusion in Revelation 22, one of the, one of the things that John tells us is about how great it's going to be in the new creation, the new heavens, the new earth, for all those who belong to Jesus. One of the things he says is, those who are there, those who have trusted in Christ, those who are welcomed into the new creation, guess what they're going to see? They're going to see God's face. They're going to see what Moses was not allowed to see. They're going to see what nobody has been allowed to see up to this point. You're finally going to see God's face. You're going to see His glory, which is what we were made for. So not only are we going to see the glory of God, but there's a sense in which we are going to share in the glory of God. Now the Bible says in in one sense God doesn't share His glory. He doesn't allow other people or things to be treated as though they are God. Uh, He doesn't share his glory. He's not okay with idolatry. But there is another sense in which God does share his glory because he changes us into his glorious image. Paul talks about this later in uh, the book of Romans. In chapter 8, verse 30, when he says, Those God called, 
he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. In other words, he transformed them, he glorified them, he made them as much like Jesus as it is possible for a human being to be. He transforms us into that glory. And Paul says, we rejoice in that hope. And when he uses the word hope there, he doesn't use it like we usually mean it. Uh, We usually use it. Usually when we use the word hope, we use hope to express some kind of doubt. Right? Like if I was cooking dinner, which I don't hardly ever do, I might say, I hope this dinner turns out all right. Not because I'm confident it's going to, because I'm doubtful about whether or not it's going to, right? But in the Bible, often the word hope is used not to express doubt, but to express confidence, right? So, for example, Paul uh, talks about uh, our hope in Christ, or those who have hoped in Christ in Ephesians 1.12. He talks about the hope laid up for us in heaven in Colossians Chapter 1, he talks about the hope of salvation in 1 Thessalonians 5. Those are not mere wishes. Those are expressions of confidence. We do have salvation. We do have something laid up for us in heaven. We have confidence of what, about what we have in Christ. And so Paul says, now that we've been justified, now that we have our sins forgiven, now that we've been declared righteous, guess what? We have confidence that God is going to transform us and make us as perfectly like Jesus as it is possible to be. And we are going to experience that transformation into his glory when we see his glory, which is what John says in 1 John 3, 2, when he says, when he appears, when Jesus appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. When we see him in his glory, we're going to be transformed into that same glory. We're going to get to share in it. And there's no doubt about that because every obstacle to that has been removed by Jesus' death and resurrection and how that has been applied to me by grace through faith in Christ alone. We rejoice in that. We look forward to that with great expectation and with joy. So Paul says, don't lose sight of all the good things you have been given in Christ. It's not just that your sins have been forgiven. It's not just that you've been declared righteous. But you've been brought into fellowship with God. You now have peace with God. God has brought you to a place where what you experience, what you taste, what you enjoy, is not the wrath and condemnation you used to fear, but the blessing and peace and joy that you knew you didn't deserve. Rejoice, because you now know that what you were made for, seeing and tasting and reflecting the glory of God, is now the certain Outcome of what God has already begun to do in you. You have reason to rejoice. You have reason to hope. You have reason to be confident because of all the good things God has poured out upon you, which you didn't deserve, but Jesus purchased for you on the cross and God has given to you to enjoy. Let's pray. Thank you.